Good morning. That's better. Always great to come back to Junction 10. Thank you for welcoming me. So I'm told this is a series on discipleship to start the new year. And uh, I did listen to, managed to listen to the first message from Dave Bowden. And I thought it excellent. If you haven't listened to it, you should get it. Um, to follow Jesus, he said, is to learn and do, to love like him, and to lose the things, the things that come between us. Now, I cannot improve on that teaching. And it's three points all beginning with the same letter. So it's a gold standard of a sermon, isn't it? Um, but anyway, I've decided to come at this quite differently because I couldn't improve on that. Speaking from my own experience in life and as a pastor. To begin with, let me take you back quite a bit more than 40 years ago, um, to the time when my mother and I began to attend church. And before then, we hadn't been regular churchgoers, but we did believe. So we were immediately assigned our place, unsaved. You're dead. You need to be born again. And my mum struggled with this. And I clearly remember her saying... If I'm not a Christian, who have I been praying to all these years? And it's a fair question. Because although there was a lot she didn't understand, she believed in God. She seriously believed as much as she knew of the Bible. And more to the point, she'd always had a sense of the present reality of God in her life. Anyway, never want to quibble very much. She said yes to Jesus. She got baptised, her faith grew, and she ended her life with very strong but simple faith, which I think is the best kind. As for me, I did not struggle with being told I needed to get saved. I was seeking God in earnest then. Thought for a while I was never going to find him. And funnily enough, an, an altar call would have probably helped me at that point. They didn't do them in that church, but... I felt like I was trying to cross a line. And as I came to an understanding of the gospel that Jesus died for me to pay the price of sin, I figured that was the moment that I crossed the line because I understood. So for a number of years, I said that was when I got saved, age about 26. Except it felt slightly dishonest because I knew that it negated some of the experience I already had. As a child, I believed in God, I loved Sunday school, I prayed often for a child, and more to the point, had a sense of God's being real in my life. <clears throat> when I was 13, they took me to see Billy Graham, and I went forward to the altar call, you know, with my friend, because you do everything with your friend at that age, don't you? I suppose I wanted to be a Christian, but I understood nothing. And I do remember one lady saying I'd got saved that day and I hadn't got a clue what she was talking about. I was a child. So why have I told you all this? I mean, in time I dropped out of church, lost interest, you know, forgot about it. But if you ask me nowadays when I got saved, I wouldn't try and give you a date and a time. What I would say is that around the age of 26, I started on the road of discipleship following Jesus and this morning I am making that distinction not between saved and unsaved people being either in or out the alpha course taught me a lot about that and I'll come back to that but a disciple is a follower Jesus said whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me 
Now, it's been said that salvation is a free gift, but discipleship can be costly. We could spend hours discussing that statement, couldn't we? But we don't become disciples overnight. It's a lifetime journey. Just want to read some verses from John chapter 3, coming on the screen. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we don't get it wrong when we say there needs to be spiritual birth. Just as flesh gives birth to flesh, a woman has a baby, so the Holy Spirit gives birth to the Spirit within us. But our calling is to make disciples, and it's simply not enough to decide who's in and who's out and get them in, and that's the end of it. Pastoral ministry is all about bringing people to Jesus, even if they've been Christians for 50 years, because this is a lifetime journey. Now, I know it's great when somebody gets gloriously saved and they're transformed overnight from darkness to light and they become our trophies, don't they? And we hope very much that we'll see them go all one way and getting holier and holier all the time. And we love it so much, it's what we want to see. It can even put pressure on people to try and live up to our expectations. And it can definitely feed the ego of the evangelist who's topping up the numbers, you know. But, of course, life is messy. People ebb and flow. And pastors recognise this, at least they do if they live in the real world. If you feel unsettled because your life's been messy, or maybe your faith was sometimes weak, or you've made mistakes, I want to encourage you today. If you go through a time of weakness, it doesn't negate the times when you were flying. Salvation is a free gift. But what I want to emphasize about discipleship is that it's a life journey and we have the helper. Over the years, I've met a lot of people who are full of self-doubt. They judge themselves according to how they're doing today and it wipes out what they were doing last week and so on. But if that's you, remember, discipleship is just coming to Jesus day by day. And he said, my burden is light. It's coming to him, not struggling with a burden that you can't manage. Think about this. <clears throat> Who is responsible for getting you to heaven? Is it yourself? Well, I've always said that's me done for then, because I'd be sure to mess it up somewhere. As we all needed Jesus to die in our place to pay the price of our sin, we all need him to sustain us. The Holy Spirit gave us life, and the Spirit is here to sustain that life. 
Verse 8 says, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. There's mystery here. We know something about wind this week, don't we? I've certainly heard it in the night, and I'm sure you have. And all the storms have got a name now, haven't they? But I still don't understand the science of where it came from and where it's going. The Holy Spirit is as mysterious as the wind. He's very real, very powerful. The effects of his presence are heard and felt, but he's unseen. And like the wind, he moves where he wants. He's not constrained by humankind. He won't necessarily fit in with our expectations. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He chose to give us life. And when it comes to discipleship, he's the helper. If you've ever beaten yourself up for being weak, be reassured, we have the helper. And doesn't the Bible say he's able to keep you from falling and to present you with great joy before his glorious presence. So with all that said then, what is a disciple? And this is by no means definitive. But first of all, a disciple follows in the Lord's footsteps and it's never the other way around. He doesn't follow us. To follow is to be with somebody. To make disciples is to teach them to be with Jesus. John the Baptist had a selfless approach to this. He merely pointed the people to Jesus and said, follow him, he's greater than me. But John could have built his own empire. He had crowds following him, but he said, no, follow Jesus. And his humility was rooted not only in knowing who Jesus is, but also knowing his own identity in Christ. We make disciples when we are humble enough to know that we're saved by grace and are ourselves dependent on him. So we point others to him and not to ourselves or what we're building. Follow him. And if you forgot, come back to your first love, because we get lukewarm sometimes. Maybe you didn't follow him. Maybe you followed a person. You wanted to please them or to be just like them. Sometimes we follow our own ambition or we just opt to follow an easy life or a worldly life, and we get lukewarm. But here's something I read in a book recently. Don't waste energy regretting the way things are or thinking about what might have been. Start at the present moment. Start now. Accepting things exactly as they are and search for God's way in the midst of your present circumstances. Every day is a new beginning, a new opportunity to move closer to the God of second chances. Start now. God hasn't gone anywhere. Secondly, a disciple follows in total dependence on God. We acknowledge our neediness. Now, I've known a lot of needy people in my time, but the mistake I might sometimes have made was to feel like their need depended on me. Well, I could make them reliant on me, or I could make them a disciple. In other words, showing them how to depend on him. Oh, it feeds your ego when other people look to you to solve their problems, but it feeds their soul when you teach them to walk with Jesus. So how are we going to point them his way? 
Well, it's a good start to constantly be talking about him and what he's doing and demonstrating that everything we've done is because of him. Last week, my devotional said, how do you prove God is real? And I thought straight away, creation. But then I thought, I know that I know. And nobody can ever take away what you know because you experienced it. You know he's real because he's been such a presence and nobody can take that away. You know he's real because sometimes he gave you his authority to speak for him. You know because of that time, perhaps many times, perhaps just once, when his word spoke to you. In my case, scripture healed me and other people, and it creates life in us and strengthens us. And you know he's real, because you know how much he's forgiven you for personally. And you know he's real, because you've seen his power at work in his people and in the church, and you've seen answers to prayer. Some people shout about it, but have you noticed how often our answers to prayer are quiet and unspectacular? Have you ever prayed for something and then forgot until you got the answer to the prayer, and that reminded you that you'd prayed and he'd heard your prayer. But the point is, it was all his doing. And when that's our approach, when we talk always about him and not ourselves, that's how we point other people to him, to focus on him and give him the credit for everything. And if people admire you, great, but let them see beyond the man or the woman and see the God who is working in your life. So to make disciples, be a disciple, a follower, totally dependent on him. Thirdly, a disciple takes on board his priorities and doesn't expect him to do what we want. I've noticed some people have some very set ideas about what the kingdom of God should look like and they even link it to politics to try and make the world like the kingdom as they see it. I think we see a lot of that across the pond, don't we? But Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 4 what his priorities are. And if we're following him, we must take them on board as our priorities. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This was his kind of inaugural speech. And later on, he sent his disciples out to do the same. It says Jesus called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Notice, he sent them out. We don't send him out. The work of the kingdom, this power, it can only come from being with him. And if anybody asks me, what is the number one priority for ministry? I would say, undoubtedly, it is this, spending time with him in his presence. And from being with him comes inspiration and kingdom authority. There is no success in the kingdom of God if people are expecting the Lord to follow them. He sends us out and there's no substitute. Only the other day, a lady said to me, She said, I wouldn't know where to start if I had to write a sermon. I thought, neither do I. I just have to be with him and wait on him. 
In December, I decided my version of an Advent calendar would be to read through Luke. It's got 24 verses, so 1st to the 24th, I would read a chapter a day, hoping that by Christmas I'd have a renewed understanding of the Messiah who came into the world, and I did. If I could sum up what I got from it, there was a renewed sense of Jesus fervently encouraging us to follow him, to listen to him, to obey him. The problem is there's a lot of distraction in December. As the song from Love Actually says, Christmas is all around us and it's glittery and bright and materialistic and there's a lot to do. But as I was reading the Sermon on the Plain in Luke, it parallels the Sermon on the Mount, I was thinking our calling is hard. We're called to love our enemies, turn the other cheek, give for no return, refrain from judgment, lay down our lives. How is this even possible for weak human beings so susceptible to being pulled in different directions, especially in December, to be pulled in his direction It's only possible through surrender. A disciple follows his example of self-sacrifice. To give yourself to God is to allow him to work through you. Otherwise, we can't live according to the Sermon on the Mount. And again, it comes through following him. Every good thing I ever did, it was the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And that's why when I read through Luke in December, I saw the only way to do what he calls us to do lies in the words of a well-known carol. What can I give him, poor as I am? What I can I give him? I give my heart. The Bible says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And that word bodies, it means all that we are. And he knows better than I do what that is, all of me. How many times did you sing, I surrender all? And we don't really know what we're offering, do we? And we pray, not my will, but thy will be done. But we haven't really got any idea what we're asking for, but he knows. And I believe this is the church coming of age. Way past the oversimplified, in or out mentality, true discipleship is grown-up Christianity. Over time, he takes it all as we offer ourselves. But as I said, it's a lifetime journey. Finally, a disciple follows him into the future. And I think this is something we often overlook. Always looking up and trusting him for the future. Who's controlling this world? Is it Putin or China or NATO? Well, they like to think so. They like to think they lead and everybody else must follow. But, you know, last week I was so troubled by the news and everything going on. And the Lord gave me a word and it just dropped into my mind so clear. One day the lion will roar. Joel 3.16 says, The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of God. The suffering and the injustice is not going to be forever. One day the lion will roar. 
My Bible tells me there are principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of the age, spiritual wickedness in high places, and wicked men don't know that that's who they are following. A disciple is following a countercultural, anti-populist Messiah, looking to the future because we know that one day the Lion of Judah will roar. I think the early disciples saw a glimpse of this when Jesus cleared the temple. I've always thought there was an example of the wrath of God against hypocrisy and greed and the violation of a sacred place. But it was much more than that. It was the beginning of the age. They asked him for a sign. They said, give us a sign to show us you've got the authority to do this, to overturn the tables. And he said, here's your sign. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It was to be a seismic change. The temple of bricks and mortar was no longer the focal point of God's presence on earth. He is. And when they destroy him, he'll rise again in three days. Rituals must give way to the Messiah. And a day is coming when there will be another seismic change. Jesus will return. Anything that replaces true worship will be swept aside and the lion will roar. So discipleship is also following him into the future, always looking up. So what have we said? A disciple is a follower, walking in his footsteps, totally dependent on the Lord, taking on his priorities, fully surrendered, and looking up. This is from the simplicity of salvation to the maturity of all-out surrender. And this is our lifetime journey of discipleship. Now, I said earlier, I learned so much from leading Alpha courses. We did more Alpha sessions than I can remember now. And we met a lot of people. But we really did learn that these people were all on their lifetime journey. We learn not to judge right at the beginning who's in and who's out, who's saved, who's unsaved, because people have got all different kind of experiences. And our job was to bring them to Jesus. I think we probably were looking for trophies at the very beginning, but we learn not to look for trophies, but to watch the Lord work, to follow and not expect God to follow us. And he so often surprised us. You know, we found that we, we could be an influential but small part of somebody's lifetime journey. I went to a, a church event in Aldridge once and I met a chap there who'd done Alpha with us a few years before and he, he was very quiet, I didn't really know him and I hadn't seen him probably since the Alpha course. But there he was, not only attending his local church in Aldridge but actually serving the church and really going on with God. And it was so encouraging because I thought, I didn't know, but we had an influential part, small, but influential part in making a disciple there. And the word that you sow never comes back empty. God's word achieves God's purpose. Always worth it. So as we come to prayer, discipleship is a high calling, but we have the helper. He is the God of second chances. And whether you're flying at the moment or you're a bit stuck 
or you're even going in completely the wrong direction and you've, you've stopped following him, just remember that thing I read earlier on. Start at the present moment. Start now. Simply follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, starting right here and now, we look to you. We need you. We will follow you. We give ourselves to you. We humble ourselves before your greatness and majesty. We pray that you will complete the work you have begun in us. We thank you for our salvation. We pray that day by day, week by week, you will make us mature disciples. And then we pray, use us to make disciples. Shine through us, Lord. And we pray that people will see not us, but the one whom we are following. For the sake of your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.